a few years ago in Ohio, six impersonated a local lawmaker at the high school. The teen was aware of an Ohio, uh, an Ohio State Senator's plans to visit the school, not his school, but a nearby one, and he called a month, the, the state senator was supposed to visit in January, he called in December and said that uh, he, this teen, pretending to be a local lawmaker, would be taking the place of the state senator and would be available to come in December instead. The school didn't question it. And so when this teenager dressed up as a local lawmaker, suit and tie, briefcase, everything. He must have been one of these kids that starts shaving in sixth grade to pull this off, you know. But he shows up, and they bought it. The school only realized that the deception had been perpetrated a few weeks later when the actual senator showed up. Like, oh, but we, but you, oh, boy. The district superintendent said the presentation that the student gave was about being active in politics and political processes. He said everybody thought it was legit. We all totally bought it, including the teachers. And we hear a story like that that touches on this idea of politics, and we kind of laugh. That's funny, kids being kids. But if you were to say to someone, hey, I'd really like to talk to you about politics, is that okay? Their response might not be so mirthful, especially these days. In fact, I saw something on Facebook last week that really connected on this issue. It said, we have been told for so long that it's not polite to discuss politics or religion that we've forgotten how to have a polite discussion about politics or religion. We're going to try to do that today because our text is inherently, intrinsically political. Did you know that Christmas is political? We can't help it. I mean, God brings His Son into the world in a political context that shows that God can accomplish His will through secular power structures and governments, but He does it so He can advance His plan to redeem the world. If you've got your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be look at Matthew chapter two, uh, verses actually one through eight today. Uh, if you're if you're new here this morning, thank you so much for for joining us. Uh, when we're all done today, I'll be right down front. I'd love to meet you. My name's Casey. Uh, so if you're kind of new around here, please come down and say hi. And I just want to thank you personally for being here. If you're joining us online, thanks for logging in from wherever you are. Uh, you're part of a community of well over a hundred people that that do that every week. Uh, just so you guys know, this past week it was so exciting. Uh, someone from our online streaming audience. Uh, sent us an email and said, hey, I want to get baptized. How do I do that? Like, that was cool for me. I was, that was a great day in the office. So thank you so much for logging in. If you're local, you, you need to show up. Uh, we, there's something you can only get when you're here, but I'm glad you're joining us online. Thank you. Take a second and fill out your online connection card. And if you haven't done that analog style, uh, help us out and do that too, please. For the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series through the first couple chapters in Matthew's gospel as he tells the Christmas story. Matthew is the gospel who tells about the star over the stable in Bethlehem. Matthew is the gospel that tells about the wise men or magi coming to see Jesus. These these stories um, are in Matthew's gospel. In our text, we're going to see how Matthew draws a significant contrast between the wise men, the magi, the kings, the three we three kings of the song, 
and King Herod and ultimately King Jesus. In our Advent celebration, we talked about peace last Sunday, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince. He's the King of the Jews. He's the King. Those are political titles, by the way. You can't divorce Christmas from politics. Our God will use anything to point people to Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we said He'd he'd use history to point people to Jesus. Last week, Fred told us that he'll use family to point people to Jesus. Today, we're saying that he'll use kings or he'll use politics to point people to Jesus. Just to get you caught up on the story, there's some time that passes between the end of Matthew 1 and the beginning of Matthew 2. A fair amount of time goes by, actually. Joseph and Mary are no longer living in, they're staying in the stable because there's no room for them in the end. The census is over. Everybody's gone home. They're in a house, we'll read the passage we'll look at next Sunday, tells us. Some time has passed between these two chapters. Joseph, presumably, has restarted his business there in Bethlehem. He's moved it from Nazareth. Uh, Joseph is, the text says, a carpenter, though he probably worked with stone as much as he worked with wood. Uh, if you've ever been, some of you who've been to Israel know there's a whole lot more rocks than there are trees. <laughs> um, And so Joseph, probably a better term would be contractor. Joseph was a contractor. And he's got deep-seated, deep-rooted family connections there in Bethlehem. Probably has restarted his business by this point. He's working hard there in Bethlehem, providing for Mary and little Jesus. And we come to our text, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, now there was more than one Herod, There was a King Herod, but when Jesus is an adult, this was his dad, okay? Different guy. Uh, This is Herod the Great. This is that Herod. Magi from the east. And by the way, the word magi there is just a transliteration out of the Greek. Wise men would be a good translation. Magi is the the Greek word just turned into English, okay? Uh, We'll talk more about them next Sunday. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Do you know why he had to do that? It's because he doesn't know. He should, but he doesn't. Because the law requires that when Israel would have a king, he was supposed to make his own handwritten copy of the law. How many of you know that when you handwrite something, it helps you remember it? Right? Okay, that's the point. The king was supposed to, his first duty as king is to make a handwritten copy of the law. Clearly, he didn't do that. Verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler. That's political language who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. He lies. Here's what I think this is telling us. God uses secular power Because its weakness 
shows us just how much we need Jesus to change our hearts. That's the big idea today. God uses secular power because its weakness shows us just how much we need Jesus to change our hearts. The point of this whole series has been to say that that God can and will use anything to point people to Jesus. He'll use your family. He'll use history. He'll even use politics. Can you believe that? So it raises the question, well, how does God's use of politics or kings, as the sermon title says, point us to Jesus? I think there are two ways. Here's the first one. Number one, it makes us long for a true king. It makes us long for a true king. Now, I realize that that kind of language might sound treasonous to red-blooded, freedom-loving Americans. Just go with me for a second, okay? (sighs) Democracy is a wonderful thing. It really is. And, And Given the option of all the other systems of government in the world, I would still pick that one. But we have to say that in context with what Winston Churchill said to the House of Lords in 1947. I love this quote. Look at this. He says this. He says, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all those other forms. (laughs) It's not perfect. We know this. If you've been watching the news, you know this. It's not perfect. And as good as it is, still lots of, lots of flaws. And so God sending his son into the world makes us long for a true king. I mean, there's a sense in which we think, hey, we've got the best kind of government you can have. <laughs> but Western literature, especially romantic and heroic literature, is replete with, with descriptions of the ideal scenario of a king who, who's a good king, who reigns in righteousness and justice. And you get glimpses of it, like when Solomon has to deal with the two uh, you know, women of ill repute, and he talks about, we'll cut the baby in half, and the real mom says, no, don't do that. And, oh, okay, there's justice. There's, there's goodness. And we see glimpses of it. <laughs> and Western literature is replete with these examples. It, it's that idea of a good king who reigns in righteousness and justice and who makes the society good for everyone that drives, you think about King Arthur and Camelot, that's the essence of the story. Homer's Odyssey, Shakespeare, the Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. What, huh? It's a democracy that becomes corrupt and turns into an empire. And the whole premise of those movies is, it's not right. This whole thing's a mess. How do we fix it? Give some farm kid a laser sword. He'll... Um... See, there are two truths that support this idea. We long for a true king. And the first is this, that Jesus' claim on you is legitimate. See, part of the political aspect of the Christmas story is that Jesus had a more legitimate claim to the throne than Herod did. Herod the Great was born in the late 70s BC into an aristocratic Idumean family that had converted to Judaism 50 years earlier. Idumea was the region southeast of Israel, was known historically, in the Old Testament especially, as Edom, E-D-O-M. Herod is an Edomite. In other words, Herod is descended from Isaac's other son, Esau, not Jacob. And many Jews of Jesus' time did not think that Herod was a legitimate king. However, he was a great politician, 
And he had made friends with Caesar. And so in 37 BC, Julius Caesar appointed Herod, are you ready for this? The king of the Jews. Can you see the conflict coming? The people of his day (laughs) saw him as a usurper. The faithful Jews of his time knew that he wasn't the true king. They knew that his authority was not real and that it only was appointed by Rome. But God even had a plan in that. Here's what this means for us. Part of our longing for a true king, a leader who will lead us in goodness and justice and righteousness, is that we long for someone who has the, has the legitimate right to rule, to lead us. We, we long for someone whose claim on us is legitimate, it's real. That's why, that's why democracy is so appealing to us. We get, at least we get to pick, at least we have a say in who's in charge. It's a good thing. See, part of what you need to realize today is that Jesus' claim on you is legitimate. He alone has the right to rule in your life. He's the true king, and part of the joy of Christmas is that God saw how corrupt our human governments were, and they are, aren't they? Have you seen the news lately? I mean, it's just like whack-a-mole. They're just going down, man. Boom, boom, boom. God saw how corrupt our governments are, and so he sent us a true king. He alone has the right to rule because he's not corrupt, because he's good. And here's what that means for you this morning. It means in those areas where you're struggling to give your life to Jesus, you need to understand you can trust him. You can trust him to lead you even when it doesn't make sense, even when what he's asking you to do is really hard because he's good, because he's true. And his claim on you is legitimate. As your creator and your redeemer, he has a claim on your life. And so in areas where you're not sure about, I don't know, man, what he says to do there's really hard and it pushes against my fleshly desires. And yeah, but he's the true king. And he's not going to lead you somewhere that's going to be wrong. You're safe in surrendering your life to him. Now, he may lead you into some unsafe places, but he's there with you and it's okay. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. It really, this leads us to the second truth, that Jesus is a different kind of king. The text really highlights Bethlehem here. It's really, it's part of Matthew's earlier narrative, and it comes up again here. Bethlehem is the hometown of Israel's beloved King David. Oh, man, they love King David. He, he, Bethlehem, as the hometown of David, figured prominently in the national consciousness, political consciousness of Israel. All you had to do was make this connection to Bethlehem and everybody gets warm fuzzies. <laughs> it's just the way that worked. It's, it's like in America when a politician tries to make some connection to some working class roots, you know. Like, yeah, my grandfather was a coal miner in West Virginia. Your dad is filthy rich. I mean, what are you talking about? But they try to make that connection, don't they, when they're running for office. See, Jesus is automatically going to be thought of in a more positive light to the Jewish Christians who are reading Matthew's gospel. When he's, oh, he's born in Beth- oh, Bethlehem? <gasps> wow, cool. He's a king more like David, whom Israel loved, than like Herod, whom Israel tolerated. But he's better than David. You see the prophecy in verse 5? 
Did you see this? Out of you will come a ruler. That's political language. Not only that, but there are these ancient cultural uh, contextual connections between political leadership and being in the image of a shepherd. Over and over and over again in ancient literature, kings are compared to shepherds, that that's the way they're supposed to be. A true king will really be more like a, a shepherd than a tyrant. How does a shepherd lead? With his voice. He calls to the sheep. He knows them by name. Follow me. I'll lead you to green pastures. I'll lead you to quiet waters. That's how a shepherd leads. And he says that he'll be a ruler, but he'll be a shepherd. He's a different kind of king. Jesus doesn't exercise his power for his own benefit, but for the benefit of those he leads. He's different. You see, the implication of the word ruler in this prophecy in verse 5 is that the promised messianic king who's going to be born in Bethlehem is, is one who has influence or who leads people, that people rally to his cause, that they go, oh, oh, I want to be like him. So you combine that idea with the fact that Jesus has a far more legitimate claim to the throne of Israel than Herod. <laughs> It's no wonder that Herod and all Jerusalem with him was flipping out about this prophecy. When the Magi, when the wise men show up, like, yeah, we saw the star, there's the king, we're, we're here to worship the king. It, you know, what? And, and everything just kind of got turned on its head in that moment. It was a political thing. Almost 25 years ago, Don Ratzlaff wrote in the book, The Christian Leader, if Jesus is Lord, then he must also be Lord of our politics. That's an unarguable Christian truth that everybody argues about. Too many of us Christians confuse political convictions with spiritual convictions. Insecure with ambiguity, we assume people of one Lord, one faith, and one baptism must also promote one political agenda. This assumption leads the church into trouble. He goes on to say, first it prompts us to make judgments about people that ought to be left to God. And second, when the church confuses spiritual and political convictions, it's tempted to use political power to forward a spiritual agenda. And all God's people said, ouch. <laughs> See, here's what this means. God used the politics of his day, of Jesus' day, to show just how much better the rule and reign of Jesus is. You want the application? Here it is. Every time you watch the news, you're supposed to long for Jesus. Every time you see what's going on in our world and you see the corruption of, uh, of those who would, who would put themselves up as leaders. And we're, we're all, listen, if it was me, it'd be me. If it was you, it'd be you. We're all there. It's just they've got the spotlight on them. And every time you see that, it's supposed to make you long for that true king, for Jesus. When you see the manger, <laughs> to make you long for the shepherd. So trust in and follow the leadership of Jesus first and foremost, and not some political leader, because Jesus' claim on you as God in the flesh is legitimate, because he's a different kind of leader. You can actually trust him to be good and do right for you and not feather his own nest. So where is he leading us? Well, that's the second way of God's use of politics and how it points us toward Jesus is that it keeps us on mission. It keeps us on mission. In the political arena, it's easy to get distracted. I, I don't know how many of you are news junkies. I tend to spend a little time every day staying up on that and 
this has been a weird week, hadn't it? It's been crazy. It, think about this. In the last seven days, seven days, better get good at counting that number. Um, seven days, we had a divisive and much discussed Senate race in Alabama. We had a fight in Congress over tax reform. We had a vote on net neutrality in seven days. It's been crazy. Do you know what has not changed? The mission of Jesus. That hasn't changed at all. What we see in this text is God showing us that his mission is still our primary focus. Now, there are two reasons why this understanding keeps us on mission. First of all, it helps us rise above the petty political squabbles. Understanding that we participate in the mission of Jesus helps us rise above petty political squabbles. When he is the leader you follow and not some elected official, then this helps us stay above that fray. Herod and the rest of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were so caught up in the politics of this event, these kings coming in, or these wise men, and ah, there's a new king, and ah, they got all political, that they missed the bigger significance of the prophecy. If they were just a little more tuned into the context of these predictions, they would have realized that God was doing something way, way bigger than just the political arena here. Let's look at the context of this Old Testament passage from Micah 5.2. Let's just keep going. Look at this with me. Matthew, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, another name for Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Now look at this. Listen to this language. Whose origins are from old, from ancient times, talking about the pre, eternal preexistence of the Son, God the Son, Jesus, Okay, Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. Boy, what's that sound like? <laughs> Mary and Jesus, and then later Revelation 12. And the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. Well, who are the people who, because of Jesus, get to join the Israelites? Us. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. How did the greatness of Jesus reach to the ends of the earth? Through the mission of the church. There's this, this if, if, the, if the leaders of Israel would have just kept going another couple verses... They would have realized this is so much bigger than just politics. The mission of Jesus. Now, will it change politics? Oh, sure. But it's way bigger than that. And Christmas is about making you realize, yeah, the leaders are great, but who you need to look at is Jesus. And then there's this reference. He talks about, we follow the star. And there's this reference here to the ruler coming out of Jacob. And I think there's a reference to Numbers 24. Some of you may remember the story that a pagan king hired the prophet Balaam to, to curse Israel as they were going to enter the promised land, and uh, it, was, it was quite a thing, and, and he tried, he wanted to earn his paycheck, but he got up and he opened his mouth, and what came out was a blessing. And we come to this passage in Numbers 24, starting in verse 15, look at this, this is Balaam, then he spoke his message, the prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one whose eye sees clearly, the prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate, and whose eyes are open. Can you imagine introducing yourself that way every day? 
Verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. This is 1,400 years earlier. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. Edom, sound familiar? Will be conquered. Seir, a mountain in Edom. His enemy will be conquered, but Israel will grow strong. A ruler, does that word sound familiar? Will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. Well, no wonder Herod's freaking out. He's basically a usurper, as we've noted, but the passage dials in on the specific reason that he will, in just a few verses, order the death of all these babies in Bethlehem. He's scared for his own head. That's why. He's from Edom. He represents the enemies of the rightful ruler in the prophecy. See, Herod tries to get the wise men all caught up in his political intrigues, and yet God protected them. Ultimately, they seek Jesus, and they come to him on their own terms. We'll talk more about that next Sunday. But what this really speaks to is the second reason that the story helps us stay on mission is that we can seek and share Jesus without distraction. The wise men were not distracted by Herod's political scheming. This prophecy, though, shows us that God is doing something way more significant, though, than just the politics. He's going to use politics to point to his ultimate redemption of mankind. See, Micah 5, 3, and 4 predict the inclusion of the Gentiles into the church and the expansion of the gospel over the whole world. That thing, that event, this powerful thing that happened on that starry night in Bethlehem so long ago would change the course of human history. It would even change the way we relate to politics. That's why we can't get distracted about politics. We need to stay on mission for Jesus. This past week, I found something that really deeply moved me. A friend of mine from Bible College shared it on Facebook. I shared it again on my wall, so for friends, you can go there and get the whole, it's, it's a lengthy article, and I was really tempted to just get up here and just read it, because you need to hear it. It's so good. But I want to share a section of that with you today, because it's so well done. Listen to this. This is Lyman Stone writing on thefederalist.com. He writes this, for a Christian, there are no stakes in a cosmic sense for anything we observe in the news. Christ will come victorious. Our job is to endure in hope and share that hope with others. Now get this, if the sins of an opposing politician incite our judgment more than our own sins do, then we've been blinded by the darkness of Manichaean or dualistic thinking, deluded into thinking that the cosmos depends upon our political victory rather than on Christ's advent. He goes on, he says, if we more eagerly evangelize the good news of tax cuts than the body and blood of Jesus Christ served to us each Sunday, then we can see clearly where we've actually stored up our treasures. So we wait for his advent. Be ready, be alert. Know that you do not know the day nor the hour of his coming. Know that there are, though there are wars and rumors of wars, God's word will never pass away. It will not pass away if abortion doubles, nor will his advent be hastened if abortion is ended. Get this. The word will not pass away if every church is reduced to ash, nor if every senator were a pastor, where the timing of our coming redemption be changed by a single iota. So be at peace. Do not worry about tomorrow. The worst the world can do is kill you, and that is of little consequence to a Christian. I love that. I love that. Because it keeps Christmas in the right perspective. 
It helps us realize that all the systems and structures and governmental agencies in this whole wide world cannot keep Christ from coming. The Grinch had to learn that the hard way. Nothing he could do would keep Christ from, keep Christmas from coming. And all the politics in the world are not going to stop the second advent of Jesus Christ. The return of the true king. Love the book, but I'm looking forward to the real deal. So we've got to be on mission. Please understand, there's only one thing you take into eternity from this life with you, and it's the relationships that you have with people here. You will not take your politics into eternity. Hold them loosely. Now the relationships you have, the people you know, the people God has put in your life that you're supposed to be on mission with Jesus to reach, that you hang on to. So this past year, this divisive political season we've been in, it's entirely possible in a group this size that some of you got into an argument with someone that you love about politics. So maybe the application for you today when we're all done is for you to go out in the lobby, go home, get in the car, and make a phone call. Say, you know what? I'm sorry. I said more than I, I, said more than I meant. <laughs> and I need to ask your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? I got all wrapped up in something that ultimately really won't matter. I value my relationship with you way more than my politics. Will you, will you forgive me? Here's something else you can do about this today. In the lobby at the information center, be on your, as you go out those doors, be immediately on your left. Uh, we have these invitation cards for Christmas Eve. Um, we're having two services in the morning, two in the evening. They're different. Now, each one in the morning is the same, and each one in the evening is the same, but they're two different experiences. The message is different. The songs are different, okay? And so you've got multiple opportunities to, to invest in a relationship with somebody. I would encourage you to grab as many of these as you think you'll use to invite someone to come with you next Sunday morning, next Sunday evening. There, you can go to our Facebook page, and there's an, an, this, it looks like this, that you can share that on your wall. Some of you have been doing that this week. Thank you for doing that. Appreciate that. But I want to encourage you to be on mission with Jesus. Be praying about who you can invite to bring with you on Christmas Eve, both in the morning and in the evening. You especially do not want to miss Christmas Eve. I am stoked about this, especially the, the I can't help it, the sermon. I'm really kind of geeking out about. You need to be here. We are going to stream the 431, but be here. Don't get distracted by politics or holiday busyness. Be on mission with Jesus. And I saw how important that was this week. On Tuesday, we had a visitor in the office. Uh, we were paid a visit by a homeless man. Came in looking for help. And uh, I, he'd been here before, but I had never met him. And so I spent a little time uh, with this, uh, this gentleman. Um, just trying to get to know him a little bit, find out what's going on, how can we help. Um, <laughs> he mentioned that one of the many things that he was upset about was that people in a local area, Walmart, just didn't have any respect for pedestrians and that somebody just about ran him over as he was trying to go in. And he said, he goes, sometimes I just want to, you know, get a gun and make them obey the law. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I said, wow, uh, tell me about that. He goes, well, there's just, just, they're just not enough like Jesus. He goes, sometimes I just want to just shoot at them and make them more like Jesus. 
You can't make this up. That's why I love this job. Um, <laughs> and I said, well, tell me, how is committing the crime of attempted murder going to help more people become like Jesus? didn't really have an answer for that question. But it exposes this issue. Because of our brokenness, because we're not right with the Lord, apart from the grace of Jesus, sometimes we want to use the structures and systems of this world to make people do what we want. And Jesus has a different priority in mind. He's a true king. He's got all authority. Remember what he said in the Great Commission? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. But what did he do? He laid it down. He gave it up. And he came down here and he wrapped all of divinity in a baby and he laid helpless in a feeding trough because he loves you and because that matters more than your politics. Because you matter more to him than some system of government. See, Matthew wants you to understand this morning. He wants you to see the contrast between the great political power of Herod and the, at the time, non-existent influence of the infant Jesus. He also wants to show you that God was and is fully in command of all rulers and nations and empires and all political entities to advance His plan of redemption. You understand what Paul says in Romans 13.1, right? Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And He is going to use them to point people to Jesus. He's going to show you those authorities in all their weaknesses and all their failings and say, Look, look at my son. He's better. And you follow Him, and you'll be better too. You see, though Jesus had no political clout at his birth, it is at the foot of Jesus that the wise men bow, not Herod. And though Jesus had no political power in his infancy, it is the life of Jesus that divided time, B.C., A.D., not Herod's reign. And though Jesus had no power when he entered this world, never went more than 70 miles from his own hometown, it is His rule and righteous governance that ultimately will change the hearts of humankind, not Herod. Did you hear me? Here's what I want you to get today. It's the big idea this morning. God uses secular power because its weakness shows us just how much we need Jesus to change our hearts. So will you let Jesus be your king this Christmas? If you've never made a decision to follow Him today, you're going to have that opportunity I mean, the invitation's always open, but just in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing together. And you have an opportunity to come down to the front and in front of God and everybody make your confession of the Lordship of Jesus. That I want Him to be my King, to rule over me in, in justice and righteousness. As we stand and sing, you can come down front and confess the Lordship of Jesus and be baptized and, and begin that brand new life of discipleship as God puts His Holy Spirit in you. Will you let Jesus be your king today? Maybe there's this dark corner of your heart that you've been trying to hide from him. Like, no, God, no, I like this too much. No. And he's, he's working on you this morning. He's calling you. 
And you're like, I know he, I need to let the light of the gospel shine on that. I just, I'm not sure how to, what that look, I don't even know what that looks like. Under the yellow awning is our next step room. We have leaders there who are ready to have that conversation with you. Maybe you need someone to pray about that with you. We've got decision counselors down front in just a moment who are ready to receive you today. This Christmas, will you let Jesus be the high king of your heart? In a world full of corrupt rulers and power brokers, the one with the most power in existence gave it up because he loves you. You can trust him. And if you're ready to do something about that today, you come as we stand together and sing this morning. Would you stand with me and you respond as God leads you?